So what we have to talk about tonight, Pastor Tony always talks about, and he tells, he tells all of us that the best thing that you can teach is something that the Lord has led you through. And that's exactly what I'm going to be talking to you about tonight. Now, I want to tell you right now, I am not perfect in this. It is, I am in process of he allowing him to work in me in the way that we're going to talk about tonight. I am not perfect in any way, but I, um, but I do have some experience with it. And he wants me to share that with you. But this message is very personal. I want you, he wants you, to take this personal. You know, we talk about a lot of times, we'll say, oh, don't take it personally. Oh, I didn't mean it personally. As though personal is a problem. But when Jesus died on the cross and gave up his spirit and said it was finished and that veil tore, wasn't the purpose of the veil tearing so that it could be personal? Isn't personal where we get the connection? This message is very personal. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me. You know how sometimes we hear messages, and I know I am, I am definitely guilty of this, where I'll hear a message and I'll think, wow, I wish so-and-so were here to hear that, because they really needed that. You know, and you kind of jot something down, or you tell them about it, or you text them a scripture and think, Oh, Lord, help her to know and read that scripture and see what she needs to see. Nobody's ever done that. Am I the only one that's ever done that? You know how you kind of maybe for your spouse, you leave the scripture open, your Bible open to that scripture on the table and kind of, oh, I'm just doing my reading, honey. Maybe, you know, you want to see what I'm reading? Well, this ain't that. This is a time for you and your creator, and that's it. What he wants to do tonight is he wants to stir you up. He wants to stir some thinking in you. He wants to talk to you. He wants, he wants to be um, working in you. He wants to stir you, and he wants your focus strictly on him. So I know that Pastor Tony tells us to get over ourselves, but tonight, just for, and Pastor Tony will understand. He will. He trusts me on this. I don't want you to do that tonight. Tonight, I want you to focus on yourself. I need you to focus on yourself. He needs you to take this very personally. We talk about having ears to hear. Did you know that there are actual scientific studies that show that the condition of your heart can show the condition of your ears, that there's an actual link to your ears and your heart? So when we say have ears to hear, what I mean is don't harden your heart. I want you to open up. I want you to be willing to hear what he has to say to you tonight. Be open to hearing what he has to say to you tonight. I want you to be able to handle the truth. Can we do that? Yes. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so very much for this time, I am humbled and I am honored to be your instrument. But Lord, this is all about you. This is all for you and this is all because of you. So breathe through me life into them. Amen. All right, let's get into the word. Let's look at John 5. That's going to be our foundation tonight. John 5. 
We're going to start in verse 1. And I'm using New King James unless I tell you. Is that fair? Okay. So John 5, verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? What a crazy question, right? I mean, this man had been in this condition for 38 years. And Jesus goes to him. We know there's a multitude. Jesus goes just to him and asks him, do you want to be made well? In its literal, this is a physical healing, one of the many physical healings that Jesus did while he was here on the earth in his ministry. But what he has shown me and what he is walking me through is that this is so much more. He has asked me, Leanne, do you want to stop believing the lie that you've been believing since you were going into the second grade? Do you want to stop being insecure? Do you want to stop worrying? Do you want to stop feeling less than? Do you want to stop being afraid? Do you really want to stop worrying and being so influenced by other people's opinions? Do you want to be made well? Why would he ask that? Because maybe we don't. Because maybe, just maybe, that lie, like in my case, I'll just tell him myself, it was there he showed me since I was going into the second grade. I was about seven years old. That's for a full 50 years. Israelites had nothing on me. I'm 10 years past. 50 years I took a lie, I believed it, and from that point on, I built circumstantial evidence after circumstantial evidence after scenario after scenario. I built my foundation on that lie. Everything I thought about myself, everything I thought about others, the way I perceived how others were reacting to me, my actions, my reactions, my everyday life, was built on that lie. For me not to believe that lie, I didn't even know myself. 
How was I going to walk into a room? How was I going to interact with people? That would be scary. That would be awkward. And nobody likes awkward. This gentleman had been there for 38 years. Every day at the pool, trying to get in. His whole world was focused around that infirmity, whatever it was. Where it implies that it's something where he wasn't able to move, right? Because he says he couldn't get to the pool. Did he live at the pool? I think he probably did live at the pool, just because I would like to think if he had friends taking him to and from every day, his friends would have stuck him a little closer to the pool. <laughs> I mean, what kind of friends do you have if they're not going to at least put you by the edge? And they obviously didn't, so I think from there, this is Leanne, this is not scripture, it doesn't say specifically he lived at the pool, but I think we're safe in assuming he lived there. He had no livelihood. Did he have a home? I don't know. How old was he? We don't know. But we know that for 38 years, he had built a, his life, his every day, his day-to-day, -day, he had built around this infirmity. So when you think about that, and when, if, you're, if you're focused on you right now, like I asked you to do, what is your, what is your trigger? What, are, what is the area that you can't seem to break free from? What is that trait that you've decided to call it a personality trait? But is it really your personality? Or is it just the result of situations that you've encountered and coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms, and you've just decided, well, I guess I'm an introvert. Are you an introvert? Honestly, is Pastor Dave, is there a single scripture that says introvert or extrovert? I mean, I've never found one. But I would have told you that I'm an introvert. I mean to the point where I took personality tests and did not mark a single extrovert box. You know why? I know now why. Because of the lie that I had believed and built my whole foundation on. So I decided I'm an introvert. I don't honestly know if I am or not anymore. Another way to think of this is a trigger. I mentioned the word trigger. A, a trigger is something that was well, actually defined as a mechanism that actuates the function of a ranged weapon, such as a firearm. It can also be used to describe a switch that initiates the operation of other non-shooting devices, such as a trap. A small amount of energy applied to the trigger leads to the release of much more energy. A trigger, for the sake of what we're talking about tonight, it sits on your surface and it produces fleshy behavior. So I'm asking you to think about what sets your flesh off and causes you to be led by your emotions. For instance, I'll tell, you one of, I'll tell you one of my triggers, and I think as a mom, this is probably a common mom trigger, but one of my triggers is don't say anything bad about my kids. <laughs> don't do it. 
you know, a, a lot of moms, myself included, will say, do what you want to me, but um, if you say something bad about my kids, trigger, Ooh. I mean, that's it. You hit me, I'm ready to strike. I'm operating solely in my flesh. I may not even want to be in my spirit for a minute, to be honest with you. It's a trigger. What are your triggers? I try to think of some just to get you thinking. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, what are my triggers? Well, what if you walk into a room and nobody acknowledges you? Does that bother you? It may bother some people. What if you voiced an idea that everybody liked and they implemented the idea, but they absolutely forgot you were the one that had the idea and that you did not get any credit, but actually somebody else got credit for instead of you? What if you're, you're driving and you're in the car with friends or family and you know exactly where you're going, but the person in the passenger side seat seems to need to tell you where to go? They're kind of a captain state the obvious. Does that scratchy heart on scratchy board on you? I guess I can't scratchy heart. Does that scratch you at all? What if you're at work and somebody's training you and they're telling you stuff that seems so silly, like, of course I know that. What if somebody's just telling, they feel the need? Does that stir you at all? Trigger you at all? We all have triggers or hot buttons, whatever you want to call them, push points. We all have those, but have you ever talked with the Lord and wondered why is that my trigger? Why do I get angry when that happens? Now, um, Reverend Slaughter gave us a lot of great examples in his sermon on Sunday, but in his examples, you know, he was telling us the truth that we we can have peace available to us no matter what. But in his examples, the people were noticeably provoking him. Did you catch that? And he is absolutely right. Even in those examples and in those times where people are noticeably provoking you, you can still have peace by choosing to operate out of your spirit. But what I'm talking about tonight is I want you thinking and talking with the Lord about what are those things where people aren't actually trying to provoke you, but yet you're getting provoked. What is that and why? Why does that bother you? Why is your instinct to go to a certain particular way of thinking? What sits at the core of all of that. And once you know that, do you want to be well? Do you want to walk free of it? Do you truly want to walk free of it? It isn't, it isn't as easy as it sounds. Like I said, mine's been 50 years. It complete, had, I have to completely change my perspective. It changes a lot. It's scary and awkward and weird, but it's also so freeing. I have a taste of it, 
And it's so amazing and joyful and peaceful. Don't we, you know, we sing all the time, you know, he breaks the chains and, and we're free. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our stuff that affects our everyday life and how he absolutely wants to break those chains and allow you to walk free. But sometimes being in that comfort zone, which can also be a prison, is familiar. And we love familiar. Even more sometimes than the possibility of a better future. We may be just too in love with our familiar. I don't know if anyone has ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. Oh, it's a great movie, by the way. It is a wonderful movie, but, they, uh, but there is a character. His name is Brooks, and Brooks was in prison for 50 years, and in the movie, he gets released. Now, this is not a spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen, I mean, it's just a piece, so if you haven't seen the movie, still honestly recommend it, but, but Brooks had spent 50 years of his life in prison, in actual prison, and he gets out. He's an old gentleman now. He gets out, and it's, and it's so sad. He's walking along. He tries to get, he gets a job because the, there's a program that helps him get a job and finds a room for him, and he's just in there all alone. He has no idea what to do. He just is alone. He doesn't even know how to live outside of prison. He doesn't know how to operate outside of prison, so he actually ends up hanging himself because he doesn't know what to do. His familiar was so comfortable to him that he could not make himself step out into what would have been and could have been a brighter future with freedom. He couldn't recognize. He couldn't live through the freedom. See, this stuff, these lies that we believe, Pastor Tony talks about his lie, and he was little. I was little. A lot of times, I don't think it's uncommon that this stuff starts when we're knee-high to a grasshopper, and it just keeps continuing. And we'll have because we have a, because I had a certain perception, then I just knew that I would, I would gather other circumstantial evidence that I just knew was causing it to be true. See, I'm right. See, that, see, she did that. See, I'm right. There it is. But it was just all circumstantial. It was none of it based on the truth. None of it. Remember, again, this is personal. Your answer is between you and Jesus. He, he's not going to leave you no matter your answer. He is not. He is not going to leave you. He's not going to, to stop loving you. He's not going to get mad at you. He's not going to stop knocking to say, hey, can we work on this? Hey, how about now? He's just going to love you. He's going to love you right where you are. But it is an option for you. You have to choose 
Do you want to be well? We know this because we know that our will trumps, right? And we see that even in the garden. Did you ever wonder or think about, you know, that he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, you can eat of every tree except for the tree of the knowledge of the fruit and e of good and evil. Well, if he was going to control everything he did, why would he have needed to give them any instruction? He just would have controlled them to not eat of the tree, right? There wouldn't have been the need for instruction. There wouldn't be a need. Deuteronomy 30.15 tells us, I have set before you today life and death. Choose life. It's a choice. It's a choice. Do you want to stop? Whatever your triggers are, do you want to know? Maybe you don't know what's sitting underneath them. He will show you. Do you want to know? And are you willing to step away from your familiar into freedom? Okay, it's time for a little bit of an illustration because what kind of a Pastor Dave wife would I be without an illustration? <laughs> I'd be a sad, sad wife. Ryan, can I... Um, have my favorite dog up on the screen. All right. This is the first character in the illustration. This, for those of you who don't know, is Jack. I know, right? He is our family dog. In this illustration, we are all Jack. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Jack is what some would say spoiled. I prefer to call Jack domesticated. Okay, that's my term. Jack is domesticated. Jack is very well cared for. He is loved beyond measure. We, um, he is um, fed well. He has soft blankets, ceiling fans. We anticipate what Jack would need or want, and he gets it, quite frankly. Jack probably, quite possibly, eats better than most people I know. I mean, I make yogurt parfaits for Jack. You know, you know, they have that commercial that says, you know, that shows like a wolf and it says inside of every dog is a wolf, but uh, you, you think? I don't see it. But anyways, so, so Jack has all, everything he could need or want. He is loved. He is blessed. Now, second picture, please. The second character in our illustration is a rabbit. We have in our yard, if we could show the next picture, this is what will be known for this illustration, the rabbit um, hotel, okay? <laughs> this is the rabbit resort. You can see on the bottom there, this is a shed in our backyard. You can see on the bottom there's some space where it doesn't go all the way to the ground. It is just enough space for rabbits to go underneath and hide and get protection from the weather or from anything else, not from Jack because he actually doesn't chase them. They don't even always leave the yard when he comes out. But I see, I go back to that, probably not a wolf in him, but... but this is 
the rabbit resort. Well, here's the thing, the rabbits, while they're cute and they're furry, the rabbits leave a lot of droppings in our yard. This has posed a problem in the past. This has created a vet visit for Jack and a subsequent antibiotic and, um, and, and well, Jack has cost us a little bit of money because Jack, even though he has everything available to him that he could possibly need or want, he still chooses to chew on the rabbit droppings. He will eat everything that we give him, but yet he will still go out and chew on the rabbit droppings. Now, in his defense, since he can't be here to defend himself, they do look somewhat like his food. <laughs> they do. But you can imagine our frustration when we realized that Jack was doing this. And one day, because I talked to my dog, yes, I talked to my dog, I caught myself actually saying, dude, you have everything you could possibly want or need. You have all the best food. Why do you insist then on chewing on rabbit poop? <laughs> have you ever said something that sounded so weird, but it like went out and it boomerangs and it comes back and it smacks you like a lesson? Yeah, that statement did that to me because the Lord in this process of digging out this lie has been having me meditate on Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, chew, feast on these things. So when I said that to Jack, I felt a little, oh, yeah, Leanne, you have everything good that you can feast on. So why do you still allow yourself to chew on rabbit droppings Amen. because that's what it is Amen. right it's it's rabbit droppings so then what do you do well with our little rabbit issue um, Dave and I have debated a few solutions now Dave is sensitive to know that he is married to an extreme animal lover okay so there's no option for BB guns or poison or, you know, any harm to the bunnies. Uh, so within the boundaries that I have placed on Dave of no bunny harmed on my watch, um, that leaves our solution somewhat limited. But we do both agree that the rabbit resort has to be shut down. Because honestly, no matter how long they've lived there, no matter how cute, no matter how familiar, what they leave behind is damaging. No matter how long, no matter how much you've built around it, what it's doing is damaging. 
And John 10.10 says that he came so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Every day. In your every day. Because that's what we're talking about, right? We're getting down to the nitty-gritty, personal, every day, your actions, your reactions, your rabbits. The thoughts that we let, that we chew on, that's the droppings. But to get to the root cause, we got to get rid of the rabbit. Because one of the solutions that my husband came up with was, you know, and, and, and he's, he's quite wonderful around the house, so he went out and he picked up as much of the rabbit droppings as he could pick up. But you can see where that would be an exhaustive process, right? That's a temporary thing, and yes, we need to do that, but that is not a permanent solution. The only permanent solution is to get rid of the rabbit. So I ask you, in whatever it is that you're thinking about in you with your triggers or your rabbits, are you tired yet of fighting those thoughts? We have, we can and we should. The battlefield is in the mind. We can and we should. We know the thought comes in. It doesn't line up with the word. Knock it out. Amen, absolutely. But do you want to do that? Fight the same thoughts? Fight the same triggers? How long do you want to do that for? Don't you get tired don't you get discouraged? Wouldn't it be better if you got rid of the rabbit at its core so that that's no longer a trigger? That's no longer a thought. How do you do that? There's only one way. We all know. Jesus. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. He knew you before you decided what your personality is. He knew you before you let that fear in or that insecurity in. He knew you. And he wants to take you back to you. Will it stir things up? Absolutely. It will stir things up. But... Will you taste freedom like you've never known? And will you be growing like you never imagined? Absolutely. But he is the only one. In the meantime, do we fight the thoughts? You better believe it. Meditate, chew on these things. Whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is just, chew on it, feast on it. While you're surrendering your triggers to him. And thanking him for cleaning it out. I want to look at, let me find the scripture, I'm sorry. Let's look at um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We know that scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. 
Pastor Tony tells, the, tells us that that means in the literal we're continually being made new. Continually being made new. In 2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 18, Second Corinthians 3, 15 to 18. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, looking at verse 18, I ask you, where do you start? What is step one? You're going from glory to glory. You start at glory. Because of him, we start at glory. Even with your rabbits, you're starting at glory. If you have asked him to come into your heart, you are starting at glory. But he wants to take you higher. He wants to take you higher. That same scripture in the message translation says, whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly realize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Isn't that our heart? We want to be like him. So I ask you, is Jesus an introvert or an extrovert? He just went where his father wanted him to go. He did what his father wanted him to do, and he said what his father wanted him to say. Amen. What did the personality test say about him? Yes. I don't know. But isn't that our heart. See, personality tests have an, a number of problems in them. First of all, I told you that I took a personality test and I had absolutely um, no, inter no extrovert buttons on it at all. I I'm not completely against personality tests. I just ask you to be leery of them. They're man-made. They're going to look like you, how you felt when you took it that day. If you turn around and take it again a different day, it could look different because it's imperfect. 
if you want the perfect personality test or the perfect test to know your giftings, I'm going to give you Psalm 139, 23, and 24. This is your personality test right here. This is the way to know who you are. This is the way to know what is your giftings and what does he want you to do. You pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24 that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, sometimes we may see that word wicked and we think, hey, I'm not wicked. Okay, I'm, I mean, I have a trigger, but I'm not that bad. But actually, in the Hebrew, that word wicked means anything hurtful. So really, it's, is there anything in me that is hurtful to me? Lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, search my heart, Lord. I want to be well. I want to be well. Going back to John 5. I want to look briefly at the gentleman's response. Jesus in verse 6 said, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Okay. He's blaming. Jesus said, he didn't actually answer Jesus' question. Did you notice? He did not answer. He started blaming. I don't have anybody to do it for me. Well, you know, they didn't really ever ask me. I'm just going to need to sit here and they're just going to have to ask me. Nobody helped me. It's their fault. It's their fault. Blaming. But yet, obviously, there was something in this man's heart that Jesus saw because his father, our father, told him to go to this man. And even though that was his reply, look at the mercy of Jesus. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He didn't call for other people to say, oh, come on, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna help this guy up. No. He said, rise. Now, clean up after yourself and walk. Go live. Choose to be well. You've chosen. You've received it. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Do you want to be well? Then get up. And walk. And you say, but Leanne, I don't know how. I don't either. But we all know the one who does. And that's all you need to know. Is just to go to him. Pastor Tony has been teaching. He did a Wednesday series on a willing heart. Oh, if you haven't listened to those, please take the time to listen to those. We He's talking about we have to have a willing heart. I'm taking it just a little bit of a twist on that, saying you have to really want to be well. 
and, and, and it isn't always obvious, and you may not even realize how much you're holding on to your familiar or how big of a grip you may have on it. But Jesus, in all of his mercy, is saying, do you want to? Then stand up and let's walk. Amen. Let's walk. Let's go from glory to glory. What does that look like? You think, oh, that has to, you don't have to jump to the, all of a sudden, okay, it's good. No, I'm t I told you from the beginning, he's walking me out of my lie. He's cleaning that lie out of me. Praise God. But it is a process. And it's, you know, it, it, it's glory to glory to glory to glory. And some days I may back again. And it's okay because it's a process. Because do you know you get let glory to glory to glory until one day and it's just you and him and you're face to face. And he looks at you and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you want to be well? Don't be thinking about your neighbor or your kids. Side note, moms, you don't actually know your kids better than their creator knows them. Remember, he knew them before they were ever in your womb. Just this is for you and him. You and him. Your answers are for you and him. And if you... And if you're not ready to let go of one of your familiar right now, it's okay. He's not going to leave you. Just tell him, it scares me to let that one go. I have no idea what that looks like. But maybe follow that up with, why don't, would you please get me there? And you know what? He will. He'll get you there. He just meets you where you are. He's gorgeous like that. Here's another point. Consider that those around you are allowing God to move and work in them, which means that we have to let go of our perceptions of our Christian brothers and sisters. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. We all know 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading NIV. Uh, apologize, people. Okay. Start over. In NIV, I'm start with verse 2, Ryan. Thanks for working with me. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then it starts to define what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Now take a look. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. I said, consider that those around you are allowing God to move and work in them, which means we have to let go of our perceptions of them. We have to let go of how we think they're going, oh, but I just know. And we do this with family. Well, I just know them, so I know. You know, she's my sister, and I know exactly what she's going to say, and I know exactly how she's going to act. Well, do you? Is she born again? Is she allowing the Lord to work in her? Is she allowing the Lord to get rid of her rabbits? Are you sure? We're to approach every interaction with our Christian brothers and sisters with the love that does not hold their past against them. So in the same vein that we have God has mercy, and he says in Philippians 1.6, Paul told the church at Philippi, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the end. That same God who is telling you and telling me, Leanne, let me clean that out. Let me get rid of that lie. I want you to walk free in that freedom. Your Christian brothers and sisters have that exact same opportunity to do that. And we need to approach them with the thought that they're doing that. And that we don't actually know what they need to work on. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know for sure what Dave needs to be working on. Even people you live with, let's be honest here, people only know you as much as you let them know you. Even people you live with, there are things in all of us that we don't ever say. Do Dave and I connect? Do we talk? Absolutely. But every single thing, does he know me as much as well as my creator knows me? Absolutely not. And I don't know him that well either. Again, before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. So I think that disqualifies all of us from being able to say that we know anybody best. He knows everyone best. He knows what he wants them working on. He knows what they're, what they're doing. He knows. Trust that he's working on that. And approach them with love that does not hold their past against them. I mentioned Pastor Tony's um, series on Wednesday about a willing heart. I would strongly recommend that if you haven't listened to it, to go listen to it. Again, tonight was a very similar 
scenario, just a different twist. Obviously, Pastor Tony does it probably a little classier than I do it. He doesn't talk about rabbit poop. Um, I do, but that's okay. It's just um, <laughs> the Lord calls a variety of types of teachers, right? Also, Pastor Dave's message on staying sensitive to God, which he just talked about, and tenderhearted, they are good additions to listen, listening to this message also. I want to close with um, Ruth Graham Bell. Ruth Graham Bell was married to Billy Graham, for those of you who don't know. Um, and we actually, on a family trip, got to go to North Carolina. That's where Billy Graham was from. We got to visit his homestead. And there was a garden there. It was a gorgeous garden there. And there was some information on Ruth's epitaph. Not yet, okay. There was some information on Ruth's epitaph. And it was very interesting. It told a story. It told a story of Ruth was actually on a trip with Billy. Um, I'm sure he was going around preaching. And she went with him. And they were driving in the car. And they had encountered a lot of road construction. Um, and at one point in the, you know, when they were in the car, Ruth was, they were just kind of in the car, and um, Billy heard Ruth kind of chuckle. And she said, that's it. That's what I want on my epitaph. It says, end of construction, thank you for your patience. That's brilliant. That's Philippians 1.6. That's going from glory to glory. That's all of us. We're a work in progress. If you're allowing him to work in you. If you're saying yes, it is an option. I would encourage you to say Yes, I know it's scary. I know it's awkward. I know it's weird. But, but, but I'm not that person. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm not very confident. Just be confident in him. We don't want you arrogant. We don't want you confident in you anyways. We want you confident in him. We want you trusting him. Because everything you could ever need or want is in him. And let's be patient with each other as we're all going through the process. Amen.